Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. I have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. And my guest this hour is uh, an attorney-turned-author, and we've talked to a few of those in the past. And uh, he has a new book. It's a legal suspense thriller called Belinda by Mark Zankovic. I think I'm saying that right. In any event, good morning, Mark, and welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Tom. I'm pleased to be here. Did I say that right? Almost, <clears throat> but you're, you're not the first to mispronounce it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Is it's, it Zankovic? It's, it's pronounced Zankovic. Zankovic. Yeah. Okay, and, and the first V is silent. Correct. Gotcha. And and what is the origin of that name, just out of curiosity? Sure. It's Croatian, actually. Um, both, well, <clears throat> Croatian and Hungarian, I guess. My On my father's side, um, both of his parents were Croatian, and on my mother's side, they were Hungarian. Now, you practice law in both Texas and New York, and... Um <clears throat> you actually ended up living in Mexico. How come? Well, I retired, and living in New York was, oh, a little more difficult when you're not working, I'd say. Yeah. But we, <laughs> we, had, lived, we had lived in New York for 25 years, and we were looking for some place to go that was warm, and that seemed like it would be a nice uh, place to spend the winters. So we, we live in, in Mexico on the Pacific side in Baja, about an hour's drive south of Tijuana or San Diego. And we live there full time. We come up to New York for the summers to see our children. Well, that's 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 great. Um, how did you get started writing? Oh, that's a real long story, but but basically, um, I was looking for something to do after I retired. I'm not a golfer or any of the other customary things that um, people say they do when they retire. And I thought, and I had always wanted to be a writer. I, I believed that I had kind of sold out to the establishment back in 1974 when I went to law school and instead of kept teaching. And so I decided I'd try to take it up again. And that's what I've done. 
And and where are you in the process? Is this your uh, your first novel, or do you have uh, some previous books? Oh, this is my third novel, actually. I have two previous novels, and oh, and they're all Raymond Hatcher stories. That that's correct. Um, that's not because it's a series so much as it is uh, there are stories with that have something to do with Raymond Hatcher. So uh, they're standalone novels, but they're <laughs> all uh, Raymond Hatcher adventures. Yes, Raymond Hatcher was <clears throat> born in 1925. You know my character, and he <clears throat> uh, in World War II became part of the OSS which is the Office of Strategic Services, and that was the precursor to the CIA. Right. And so he, he, uh, his story is told in the novel A Lion in the Grass. His whole life covered from the time he was born until the time um, he, he died at the end, which was in 2015 or 17. And, uh, the other novel, The Narrows, was had to do a little bit with him. It had to do with one of his mentees uh, at the CIA, and who was who he rescued in Vietnam right after the war ended in the fifties uh, during the French colonial period. And this novel involves another one of his mentees. So he's not prominent in the the novel called The Narrows or in Belinda. He's just in the background. But he obviously has a legacy that lives on. Yes, yes, and that's all in A Lion in the Grass, and it is quite a legacy, I think. Um, this is, Belinda's being called a legal suspense thriller. What makes it a legal suspense thriller? Well, <clears throat> I guess we could ask the characters <laughs> an attorney. Yes, um, the characters. Uh, there are two main characters actually, and they were uh, are one is Belinda is a partner in a law firm. Um, the romance, the romantic interest she has is actually Raymond Hatcher's old mentee. So he's uh, a retired spy, but he was also a law firm partner, and so there's more law there. Much of the action takes place, actually, in conference rooms in, in Houston, Texas. So maybe that's the other thing that has to do with, with the law. You know, I was reading up a little bit about, about you in the book, and, and I saw a phrase I had not seen before. White shoe Houston law firms. <laughs> what, what is that exactly? You like that? <laughs> I do. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, white shoe is actually, and it's not Houston. I, Houston is is in the book, but white white shoe firms was an old term from New York, and it basically were all those old law firms and investment bank investment banks where many of the uh, people who ran them were Ivy League people. The same was true with the OSS, by the way. There was a lot of Ivy League people in in the OSS. So white shoe referred to them it being a little bit um, leaked, so to speak, <laughs> if you know, if, if you see what I mean. It, 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 
become known over time as meaning prestigious. And I was being derogatory when I said elite. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I have one good thing is that J.D. Salinger used that term in his fiction um, quite a long time ago to describe the editors of a liter- of literary magazines saying that they he preferred a con man to them. So, <laughs> so that that's a little background. It has it, it. I don't know something about the white shoes has sort of a car salesman uh, <laughs> feel to it. <laughs> it does now, yes. Um. Mark, why do you suppose that uh, the intelligence agencies recruit so heavily from uh, the Ivy League? Is it a geographical thing? Is it because they're headquartered in the East and that's where those schools are? Well, I think back at the time when most of when they were recruiting, um, for example, in the OSS in the early CIA days, it was because all the people who had gone into the intelligence services were from Ivy League schools. So they were all sort of clubby in, in that respect. And in fact, um, you know, Franklin Roosevelt was the one who got the OSS started. And the early on people in the OSS and in the CIA were Ivy League. I would expand their recruitment beyond the Ivy League, however, especially in recent years to to more to other colleges. And it's because they are looking for people who have language skills, for example, and a lot of other uh, of the in the understanding about the world, culture and so forth that would be necessary to their um, their work afterwards. This book is also being called a character-driven book. Um, can you, without any spoiler alert, share just just the basic uh, synopsis of the book? Sure. Um, and I, I'll start off by saying that that is what I really love to write, is character-driven fiction. It's You'll find a lot more character in my books than you will nonstop you know, plot and action and so forth. But this book is about a woman named Belinda, and she's a very successful lawyer in a Houston law firm. Um, She has to think about how to redefine herself when the book starts, because suddenly she is facing mandatory retirement. She's 63, 64, somewhere in that range. In law firms nowadays, especially big elite law firms, they have mandatory retirement policies. So what's she going to do with herself is basically one thing that she's worried about. Her life was all about being a successful lawyer, and she wasn't married. The law was her husband, so to speak. So the idea that suddenly it was going to go away, and not because she wanted it to, because it had to, um, she found that she was facing a difficult life transition. During the course of that, then, she started a romance with a former partner of hers who had retired, and he happened to be the spy. So things became even more difficult as not that she knew he was a spy, but they became more difficult as time went on. And and thus the uh, the legal suspense thriller keeps he, in. He, yeah. <clears throat> there, there are certainly other 
and not to give a spoiler, there are things that go on during a whole set of negotiations that involve other lawyers, some of, at least one of whom is very, uh, a despicable character. Really? A despicable lawyer, Mark? That's, it wasn't hard to write that. <laughs> so so you're trying to go for a little realism there. Um, oh. When you say you you like to to make your uh, your books character driven, um, I I ask a lot of writers this if they come up with a story first and then cast it like a movie or if they have a, a series of characters and then come up with things that would happen to them. Do you, do you lean more toward the the second there? Yes, definitely the second. Um, the characters were all important are all important to me starting in, with Raymond Hatcher, but also with Belinda. It was all about her. There was The plot came after I had spent some time thinking about her, uh, what her life might have been like, what it might have been, how difficult it was going to be for her to retire. And then I started adding the plot in. And... Um with that, do you find ever when you're writing that the that the characters kind of tell the story and and sort of take you along for the ride sometimes? Oh, I say definitely that's the case. I get very invested in the characters. If there's research, well, I did a lot of research on A Lion in the Grass because that was all World War Two and a lot of things there, but. With with Belinda, the research really was trying to get to, in my mind, to create a woman and how she would react to all kinds of things, not just the retirement, and kind of put her life together in, in, in a sense. I <clears throat> Belinda would have been a lot longer if my editor hadn't taken out a lot of the background about Belinda's early life, but that would, would probably have slowed things down. Well, Mark, I um, I have to take a uh, a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Be happy to. Ah, oh, that'd be great. My guest, I'm going to try this again. Mark is uh, Mark Zankovic. Perfect. Have I got it? Perfect. Author of uh, Belinda. It is a um, legal suspense thriller, and we're going to talk some more with uh, Mark after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, our voices radio, 92.1 FM Flint, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House, Spectacle Productions, and my good friend Paul Herring. If you're streaming the show at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then uh, we'll be back to talk some more with, uh, with Mark and continue talking about this uh, legal suspense thriller and about Mark's writing, past, present, and, uh, and maybe future as well. So uh, stay tuned. There's lots more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. And uh, thanks for uh, tuning in and, and listening. I hope you're uh, enjoying today's three-hour tour. Anyway, don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the uh, author of a new book. It's a uh, legal suspense thriller called Belinda, and uh, Mark Zankovic is his name. He joins me by phone. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. Um, just before the break, Mark, we were talking a little bit about you know, which comes first, the, the character or the story. But since um, these are character-driven books and uh, they, they have ties, um, they're, they're all considered Raymond Hatcher stories, um, do you ever see them evolving into a series? They're, they're standalone books as they are. I don't really. <clears throat> I I enjoy series as much as the next guy, and and I I find myself sometimes just going on a reading binge, just reading uh, books in a series. But <clears throat> I don't think that's the kind of fiction that I write. Uh, my fiction, like I said, is more unique to a character and not the same character. I think readers, um, my readers, are ha- probably happy not to have to stick to the same old plot. Um, they can be familiar with a character, and that character will show up again, but not necessarily the plot. So I, I don't think, it, frankly, between us, it was the publisher who called it the Raymond Hatcher stories. I objected to saying it was a series, um, because it's not. And so it's a little bit of a marketing thing. Um, now that you're three books into it... Um, have you got the bug? Is is this is there a fourth book on the way? Oh, that's, that's such a com. That people ask me that all the time. Well, I'm um, sure. <clears throat> sure, but yes, I'd say. Oh, I do. I this is what's part of my life right now. I enjoy it as much as some people who are retired go and play golf. I'm actually enjoying it as much as I did when I was practicing law. It, it's something that excites me when I get up in the morning, um, sitting down and writing and creating these characters. So, yes, uh, there will be a fourth book. I can't tell you when, but there will be. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to stick you to a deadline, uh, Mark. Oh, okay. um, but do you... You know, for a lot of people, writing is a very solitary thing, Mark. After a book is out, do you enjoy stuff like, you know, interviews like this or or going to book signings and interacting with people maybe that have read the book and and give you feedback? Yes, I think it's very rewarding. Um, All of of the feedback is rewarding, even the negative feedback. I, I like reviews. Reviews are fine. If it's negative, well, then people are entitled to their view. And I, I learn things uh, by uh, reading reviews or conduct, or being on interviews and so forth. I generally am not a, which, an extrovert. So it's a, but in the context of something where I have an interest that I can talk about, I think I'm very happy to engage and this gets me out and helps me do that. This last couple of years has been kind of a tough time to be uh, 
getting books out and, and promoting them because of the pandemic and quarantines and shutdowns. Um, how, how has it impacted you? Actually, the pandemic did not impact me by slowing me down. I slowed myself down with respect to writing Belinda. I spent actually three years on it. Um, I came back and looking at it some more and spending more time with the editor. So perhaps the pandemic was sort of helpful in that regard, as bad as it is to say that. The, also, it was much easier to engage with all the people like the editor and the other um, the people at the publisher because everybody was working remotely. I wasn't expected to go anywhere. I didn't have to show up in person um, to do anything, which was um, which sort of gave me more time to sit back and think. Yeah, I would think. I, I'm surprised, though, um, Mark, at the number of writers and some very successful writers that I talked to said that they were just kind of taken off guard, um, you know, by the by the quarantine and the pandemic. And they look back and say, man, I should have been getting a lot of writing done, but I just stood there like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> uh so, yeah. so it sounds like you dug in and, and were able to, to get a lot of work done. Yes, I, I was uh, digging in pretty much before the pandemic. So I didn't have to, and I didn't stand around and look at the pandemic and say, oh my, what will I do? I just kept doing what I was doing. And that worked out great. Kind of worked out that way for me too in uh January of 2020, I closed the studio I'd been running and moved all my equipment at home and started doing the show from home. Six weeks later, everybody was working from home. <laughs> but I was doing what I was going to be doing anyway, so I kind of feel the, the, the same way. Are you a very disciplined writer, Mark? Do you work from a, 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 on a schedule and use outlines and that sort of thing? Or do you just, when the mood strikes, you binge write? Um, I'm disciplined, but I don't, uh, I'm not disciplined in terms of, I don't get up in the morning at, at a certain time and write for several number of hours or going back to people like Hemingway, I have to write so many thousand words a day before I can go have a rum and coke. So I, I think that, um, but I am disciplined in that I'm always working on it. And for the most part, I do write every day. Some days I may write for five or six hours, and some days I may only write for a half hour. But I'm always trying, uh, it's, to me, it's, something that I have to do. When I was a lawyer, I always had to mind the clients and make sure that I was responding things on the schedule. In writing, it's this, pretty much the same for me. I, I set aside, aside time every day to accomplish um, various things. I know um, <clears throat> I share this story with a lot of writers uh, Stephen King was uh, being interviewed. It wasn't one of my interviews, but um, he was asked uh, if he wrote to a schedule or to a muse, and he said, oh, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. 
<laughs> yeah, that's great. Thought you might get a kick out of that. Um, yeah. Do you? Um, do you think of? Are, are you constantly thinking of of characters and story twists and and stuff wherever you are? I would say yes. I I always engage in looking at things that are happening to me or listening to people who are talking or reacting to things. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about a character who might do the same under similar or different circumstances. That doesn't mean that any of my characters are based on any particular person. I mean, that's certainly not the case. Probably Belinda is a conglomerate of oh a lot of people, a lot of women who I've known over the years and so forth. But I'm always doing that. If I think that a good writer has to be observant, very observant of people and places, because you can't write what you know if if you haven't observed something that you can use um, when you're creating your story. And in the process of creating, and and you mentioned you did a lot of uh, a lot of research for the book that had a lot of uh, World War II elements to it. Um, how much of the 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 research influences your writing, and how much of it is uh, just seems to come up out of thin air? Oh, I think research, now that book was A Lion in the Grass, not Belinda, but <clears throat> research made a big difference because as I placed my characters in various situations, it was very important to really learn about them, to learn about what happened during a particular situation, whether that was <clears throat> the advancement during World War II into Italy and uh, corresponding with Tito in the case of uh, uh, him being part of the resistance or whether that was you know the invasion of the uh, going up the islands toward Japan if you don't and then of course with CIA things it's very important to know all the characters and the, what happened and who who did what that in real life things that had happened so I would say the research is sort of depending on the novel and the story is really important. It's a very important thing to do. For Belinda, I didn't have to do a lot of research because I had just been a lawyer for almost 40 years. So I had a whole bunch of research already in my head. But anyway. When you're folding spy stuff into a story and you're doing the research, how accessible is the information? Not... <clears throat> If you're looking for particular information, it's not um, not that accessible. So a lot of spy novels, if you look at them, uh, especially the great ones, you know, the Le Carre and others, they, they have already created scenarios. And there, there's a lot of things in those n novels you can learn about how spies work. Many of the great spy novels were written by people who were formerly in the intelligence community. So they had the same background I did 
in the sense of being a lawyer. They already had done enough research as it is. But frankly, a lot of it is just made up. It's completely contrived. And I'd say the less it looks contrived, the better. Uh, but that's the skill that you have to work at if you're going to um, have a spy character. Well, that's why a lot of writers I've talked to say they like to try and get as much of uh, real details as they can to, to create some authenticity um, as a backdrop to the things that they make up and the interactions that are part of the, the telling of the story. Yes, and and I did that somewhat. Um, I do have a very good friend who worked at the CIA his entire career, so he told me what he could, what he shouldn't, he didn't, but and so forth. But it was a good way of trying out things and saying, is this even feasible? Uh, and yeah, that that helped. Do you um, do you take notes? I, I I have a songwriter friend of mine who keeps a he's in Nashville and he keeps a, a notebook and and he writes down chord progressions and bits of lyrics and things and then when he's feeling creative and and he gets into a writing binge he'll he'll go through it for little nuggets he calls it his boneyard do you do something like that when you uh, observe people or situations that you think might fit into a character or a story that you might tell in the future um do you keep track of those things yes and i love that boneyard <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's a great way of doing it. Yes, I have. I go all the way from you know on my um, on my iPhone app notes where I have a whole. I have there's a whole note called Belinda, and it's just a series of things that I thought about, and so they're not very long. Then I have a, a handwritten note spiral notebook where I've done things that are, are a little longer than that, and and so forth. But yes, and they all come back. Some of the best notes that I make are after I lay back on the couch, close my eyes, and try to envision my character in in certain circumstances. And ideas will come out the longer that I, I sit there and sort of ruminate over them. Um, you know, of course, then often I fall asleep. But when I wake up, I, I remember what I was do, ruminating about, and I usually go run for my notebook and write things down. Have you been, are, are there certain writers that, that you feel inspired by? Oh, definitely. I mean, both uh, writers who are, um, old writers who are long dead. And Hemingway was certainly an inspiration to me. Uh, <clears throat> there are some current writers who are really excellent. You know, some of the best uh, um Current writers now are are uh, are women who they I, I happen to like them because they are much more meticulous about their character development than many men. But I'm, I don't want to uh, <coughs> miscast men in in that sense. It's just that women writers are a little more accessible than that. Some of them are, you know, that what they're doing is they're writing entertainment as a as opposed to literature. 
And that's because that's what the market is. And unlike me, unfortunately, they are trying to earn a living. But they also will, especially after they've been successful, write something that's just excellent. Uh, That's not their usual stuff. And on the law front, um, and most law novels, by the way, have to do with courtrooms and murders and sort of things like that. But Scott Turow, who's obviously got a big name in writing legal thrillers, wrote a novel called Ordinary Heroes, which is excellent. It's not, it's really not a legal thriller at all. It's a very well-developed character plot. And then there are uh, plenty of other, I I could go down and name a lot of them, but um, yes, uh, I am very influenced by other writers. Well, my guest is uh, Mark Zankovic, the author of a um, legal suspense thriller called Belinda. And, Mark, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners this morning and talking about uh, about your latest book. This is the third uh, book that, or third novel that he's written. While there are connections between the books, they are standalone novels. And, um, Mark, I... Uh, always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work past present and future do you have a website you'd like to share yes uh i do it's it's www.markzonkovic.com and so that zonkovic is spelled z like zebra v like victor o n k o v i c i try to uh have a lot of links on that website for stuff that I do. I I write book reviews, and usually they're published in di- at different sources. But I have collected them all there. And that's the place to go look for writers I was talking about that have had a big influence on me. Well, Mark, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Tom, and have a good rest of the day. All right. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Again, Mark Zankovic, author of Belinda, a legal suspense thriller, the third uh, character-driven book in the Raymond Hatcher stories. Um, Standalone novels, but all with uh, some connection to that historical uh, character in the Mark Zankovic books. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. One thing about this world you can't depend on anything The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name But here we are in America Ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on Growing hungry, teens are turned to crime And politicians know it's true, but they ain't got no time Now here we are in America, nothing seems to change It just goes on and on and on There may be people who truly do care They may be mighty, but still they lack the key the Sunday these people will finally declare Not even heroes can do 
Tell me what you think when you see women being beaten It doesn't make you feel to know the one you love is cheating That's the life in America Someone stop the train, you can't go on and on Ooh, and where's the Constitution when you need it to refer? The things that are unlawful have the papers all been burned Yeah, that's the life in America Should I still remain or just go on and on and on? Now there may be people who truly do care Maybe mighty, but still they lack a tame I pray that someday this world will finally declare Not even heroes can do it all And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. 
It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. 
Well, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The story of Little Blue Riding Hood is true. Only the color has been changed to prevent an investigation. This is the woods. My name is Wednesday. I work out a homicide. Monday, February the 2nd, 10.22 a.m. Bumped into chicken licking. Told me the sky was falling. I booked her on the 614, turned her over to the psychiatrist. Then a call came in on a 503. When I was on my way to the 503, a 618 came in. I added up the 614, the 503, and the 618. Got 1,735. I handed in my paper to the chief. He corrected it. Gave me 100%. Patted me on the head. Told me I was a good cop. 11.45 a.m. it happened. I saw a little girl in a blue hood carrying a basket. I stopped to question her. Pardon me, ma'am. Could I talk to you for just a minute, ma'am? What about? Nothing much, ma'am. Just want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. What's your name? Little Blue Riding Hood. Where are you going, ma'am? Grandma's house. Yes, ma'am. What do you got in the basket? What are you trying to say? I got something in the basket I shouldn't have? No, ma'am. I didn't say that. Then why are you asking me all these questions for? Just routine, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. May I have a look in that basket, ma'am? Be my guest. Let's see. Sawed-off shotgun. Knife, bludgeon, box of dum-dum shells. Nothing suspicious here. All right, ma'am, we may want to talk to you later, so don't leave the woods. She skipped on down the path, but she didn't know I'd seen the concealed compartment in the basket. In it, what I'd suspected all along. Goodies. My job, get to Grandma's before she did. I took a shortcut through the strawberry patch. It was sort of a strawberry shortcut. I walked up to the cottage, rang the bell. Come in, dear. Okay, Grandma, it's a raid. A raid? Why, I'm just a peace-loving old lady. You've got the wrong grandma. Yes, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. Where'd you get that bump on your head? The sky fell on me this morning. I made a note to book her on the 614 and turned her over to the psychiatrist. I tied her up, put her in the closet, then I put on the grandma suit and got into bed. Come in, ma'am. Hello, Grandma. I got the loot. What are you doing in bed? I'm feeling poorly. But, Grandma, what big ears you have. All the better to get the facts. I just want to get the facts, ma'am. But, Grandma, what a big subpoena you have in your pocket. All the better to serve you with. But, Grandma, what a big 38 police special you have pointed at me. All the better to take you in. You're under arrest. You and your Grandma are operating a goodies ring. A cop. I should have known. Known what, ma'am? You look nothing like my Grandma. You forgot about the mustache. But I don't have a mustache. I know, but Grandma does. Well, I see you broke the goodies ring. How'd you get a lead on her, Joe? I just played a hunch, Frank. It was just a hunch. I played my luck. Sometimes a hunch pays off, sometimes it doesn't. I was just lucky. I just played a hunch, Frank. What you're trying to say, Joe, is you just played a hunch. A lucky guess. Sometimes a hunch pays off, sometimes it doesn't. You just played a hunch. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Joe? Yeah. 
I just played a hunch. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own? Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. Now, here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. (gasps) Jim, look! What? Where? There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented. Hmm, well that remains to be seen. Apparently Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish had spilled all over the carpet and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish, D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. Yeah, sure, you don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I, I, D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. I've, you've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. And now, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. 
You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all my guests, Mark Zankovic, this last hour, author of Belinda, a uh, legal suspense thriller. Before that, a uh, story about amateur fighting in uh, a book called Surviving the Second Tier by M.K. Lever. And we started out this morning talking about Jim Crow's pink slip. Very interesting conversation with uh, educator and uh, author Leslie Fenwick, professor of education policy, dean emerita of the Howard University School of Education, and the author of Jim Crow's Pink Slip, The Untold Story of Black Principal and Teacher Leadership. And uh, tomorrow going to be an interesting show. We're going to talk about dinosaurs... Um, strokes and stem cells on tomorrow's show and uh, then we have one of the candidates that was kicked off the August ballot, one of the GOP candidates for governor Donna Brandenburg will be joining us uh, Wednesday followed by Armchair Politics so lots of reasons to tune in every day for the Tom Sumner program in the meantime that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. 
This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.